Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So, Marco, you are standing in your apartment, number eight. Yours is a center apartment that is on the third floor. You know, in number seven resides Jamie, your ghoul. And in number eight, it's what's been set up to be your area of practice, your lab, your place of worship, whatever you may call it. But currently, right now, you are standing in your apartment, and you see your Blackberry is on your dining room table that you never use. And you see it vibrate and the LED lights up and it breaks through the dimness of the room. And you see that it has the name Roman on there. And you know that Jamie programmed this number for you. Currently, it's just you right now in your apartment. What are you doing? I let the phone ring for a couple of rings. And then I walk over to the end table where it's sitting and I just pick it up and I walk over to the window and I'm kind of staring out the window and I hit accept for the call and I put it up to my ear. I've been expecting this call. This kind of just feels like like pre-planned. Like I've been expecting it and here it is. And now I'm taking it. It just seems like everything is kind of falling into motion right now. Is it that the 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 kindred side of you that is basically use of used to somewhat manipulating events to happen and you having already at times seen pieces fall into place when you've kind of put them into motion? I would say it's almost even beyond that. It's his director demeanor almost. And it's his his carefulness kind of. And it's just kind of like um, this is a perfectly constructed set of events. And they're just playing out like they're supposed to. He doesn't sense any kinks right now. So he's just he kind of just likes uh, the clockwork nature of how things are going. It kind of reminds him of his previous life in the business world. He always just tried to operate deals cleanly, and that's what he's hoping to get out of this. But it's almost like he was waiting for the phone to ring, and now it's ringing. So you said that you specific events that lead towards a goal. I believe your words were, "What is that goal?" Now that you you know that you're making this, that you're in this stranger in a strange land kind of thing. What is your goal by talking to Roman right now? Well, essentially, I need to make sure that. He's going to stay out of trouble if I'm going to try to build bridges between the Giovanni and the other kindred of this city. I need to make sure he's not stirring any shit up and he's going to let Rita do what she needs to do. I know that Rita cares for him. He's her ghoul. And sometimes that can kind of cloud a person's judgment on certain events. So ideally, I would like to act as Roman's keeper and kind of just see see what he's up to, make sure that he kind of like knows his role and make sure that he's not doing anything to jeopardize 
what we're trying to build here. So do you have any prior knowledge of Roman and what he was like? And do you, did you ever have any prior interactions with him before? I would say I've probably seen the guy, never talked to the guy. I may have heard rumors about him being sick, but a lot of people in the family have weird tastes and I have weird tastes as well. So I probably wouldn't have a second thought about it. And frankly, Marco doesn't really care. Uh, doesn't really care what what he may or may not be doing. He just needs to make sure it's not going to jeopardize what we're trying to build here. Yeah, and that's a very good point too, because I would say almost with your time that you spent with Rita on Venice after your embrace that you really didn't, it was just mainly you two that were with each other most of the time. You never really saw any of the people who uh, who orbited Rita, you know, to help her get things done like that. So that's a very good point right there. So the phone, you hear over the phone, hello. And as you hear that, you look outside the window and you see kind of like the river that is going by and you see the moonlight is kind of reflecting off of it. And you see some trees are kind of like moving gently with the breeze, like their 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 leaves are turning brown, have not yet completely fallen off. But you see there are some that are traveling in the wind that's going along it. Roman. Hello, Marco. I've just arrived. I think it's important that we maybe sit down and discuss things. I figured this call was coming. Do you have my address? Have your people given it to you yet? I know where to find you. Start right. if I head by now. Sure, come on by. I'll be expecting you. And then I just I click it off. What 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 what's going on in your mind right now after that like quick interaction? Was he expecting it to be very kind of curt like that between you two? I mean, I don't really know him. He doesn't really know me. I don't know. Like he probably doesn't appreciate me coming in here and throwing my weight around and stuff. So I just want to sit down with the guy. Hopefully we can get on the same page. Him saying he expected it is like comforting to Marco. He's just kind of like, he he does feel this superiority over the man that almost like the man is like in his, in his control. He's like, I was expecting your call and now I'm going over for this meeting. So it's like, I kind of feel like I hold the cards and I can make him see things my way. So Marco's on like a bit of a power trip over it. He's not uh, planning to do anything out of sorts. He's just, he feels in control right now. Well, it's got to be interesting. The fact that, you know, you have never had to be called in to assist Rita like this. And, you know, I could even say that throughout your, you know, like the little tablets you've picked up about Roman rumors you have picked up about Roman. You know, he's been her ghoul for a while, you know, for at least I don't know, like 70 years, if not more than that. And so for you to come in here and have to, you know, lack of a better term, clean up the mess. I mean, that can mean a myriad of things. It can mean that he's failing her. She doesn't have the the strength anymore to take care of him. You know, she's too, yeah, there's so many different things that could happen. And then there's always that lingering. Why was he never given, you know, brought over? Why was he never brought over like you? You know, he was given the proxy kiss, but he was never, fully initiated into the family which that could say a, a ton of different things too and marco would tell himself it's because he wasn't worthy but deep down marco would know that the way that these things work is very twisted and very random and maybe he wasn't unlucky enough to get caught in somebody else's scheming and be fully brought over is like probably the truth like he's he's kind of not as significant Whereas like I can look at me being brought over as like this kind of uh, 
you know, thing to be proud of this thing that shows that I have, have certain skills, but really it's just because I was a tool in somebody else's scheme against another person really. And like, that's probably how I feel deep down about it. So I know that there's not like real rhyme or reason as to why he's not the same as me. I just know that that's how the politics of it work out sometimes. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of in the back of your head that, and that's gotta be a, that's gotta be a weird discerning feeling the fact that like you're you have like this quote unquote gift or membership into the family but then really you're probably only giving it because someone wanted to piss someone off or someone wanted to wheel and deal and are you really that important and it's got to lead to these like circles of self-doubt you know especially just like with everything that involves your character and being part of the Giovanni family but maybe this is a redeeming thing being called in by an elder you know but then also I wonder in Marco's head is there a little doubt in his head that like could this just be more wheeling and dealing and being a pawn in someone's game? I mean, do you feel like Rita is like that? Or do you think she's capable of that? Or what What, what do you think of like being asked? Are you just so focused on like, hey, the task, I'm going to keep my mind off of all this other stuff and I'm just going to take it one step at a time? No, Marco is definitely focused on a lot of things and he's incredibly intimidated by Rita as well as having a tremendous amount of respect for her. Part of him wants to believe that she sees him as this child that can help her and help the family and be like his mother or something like that. But then part of him is also like, oh, I'm just a tool like everybody else. And they could easily wash their hands of me and just be on to the next thing. And that's like something that he probably deep down realizes, but doesn't want to think about almost as a survival as well. Like he's here to do a job. He needs to do that. He can't be riddled with doubt. He, he's like a careful person and part of it is his mental game plan too. And uh, he can't let his like panic and his worry, which he is feeling, this is not his home. He certainly feels that. I mean, even though he, he feels safe because of Rita's backing, he still feels very vulnerable in this new place. I mean, you said two things. One, you, I mean, you feel so vulnerable. You sleep in your bathtub. You know, like you, you, I mean, that's not, that's not a sign of comfort, you know? And second of all, you, you mentioned you, and I, I, I apologize for still like, I like peeling back the layers of these characters, you know, you, you mentioned that like, you look, you like almost want to have like a mother child, like, you know what I mean? Kind of relationship with her. Is this to replace that mother figure that you never really had that you finally have found a mother figure? And if that's the case, if, if this was a male elder that had similar traits as her, would you be so, you know? excited to follow it or is this because you you look at her almost like a mother with how she took you under her wing you know in venice and all this all, all the stuff that led past your embrace marco wants to look at her as a mother his view of family is very distorted he does not know what a healthy family relationship looks like at all um and also i think if this was a male guiding him in this position he would not be so keen to embrace it his revelation about who his birth father actually is, is something that uh, troubles him very deeply. And uh, it makes him kind of like, he, he, would, he would reject uh, a male guiding him in that way, as opposed to a woman who he's kind of like seeking this kind of figure in his life. However distorted it may be, he doesn't have a healthy view of it to begin with. So I take it you're going to get into your, <clears throat> your SUV and drive to that address or are you going to speak to Jamie beforehand or anything? I am going to speak to Jamie beforehand. I think she knows what's going on, 
but I still just want to keep her in the loop. It's almost like Marco runs it like a business. Like he wants to tell his secretary that he's leaving in a way. He's going to go over and and knock on her door and he's not even going to go inside. He's just going to speak to her in the doorway. So you knock on her door and it takes about five seconds to answer and you can hear footsteps coming. They sound barefoot. They're walking on the hardwood floor the real wood floor that's in these apartments not like the linoleum or the tile that looks like floor like the real wood and you hear the 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 smacking of her feet and then you hear the chain slide and then you hear the dead bolt unbolt and she opens the door and she's wearing gray sweatpants with the university of virginia maroon shirt on her hair looks a little messed up it's about we'll say about like 12 31 in the morning right now and you can see, though, she's instantly awake compared to most people who would probably be half asleep, rubbing sleep out of their eyes. And she's looking at you sternly with those steel gray eyes and slightly hawkish nose and thin lips as her blonde hairs in a ponytail. And she's like, yes. Didn't mean to disturb you. Headed over to see Roman. Okay. You, I, all right. You have the addresses in your Blackberry there. Do you want me to come with you? No, no. You, you enjoy your night in. All right. And she's like, just. Okay. If you need anything, call me. Uh, if not, I will... Do you, do you have anything you wish for me to take care of tomorrow during the day while you rest? Out of character, nothing really comes to mind. I'm probably just going to tell her not to worry about it. I'm just like, it's done enough for now. And I'm looking around at these rooms that she's secured for us. And I'm just like, excellent work, Jamie. Thank you. And she just kind of smiles at you. Listen, she's like, if you change your mind and you need me to do anything, please just send me a text message. I'll go ahead or send me an email and I'll, I'll take care of it. Okay. So she just closes the door and you're left in the hallway. You go down to your vehicle and you start up this Cadillac Escalade SUV that you got, that she got for you. You unlock it. It's gray, almost like a Magnum color. You unlock it with your key fob and open the door and you see tan leather seats within there and you sit down and you can kind of feel the comfort as it kind of molds itself around your body. It still has that new car smell in here. Everything's pristine. Even the little leather knob on the shifter for when you go into reverse to drive. You soon after putting in the address into the GPS back up and then leave this parking lot. Do you listen to music when you drive Marco or do you just kind of sit in the silence? In other situations, I might listen to music, but right now I'm not. It's just silent. And as you drive on the streets leading towards the exit onto the highway, you can see the street lights pierce the darkness and gently illuminates inside the car once in a while. But other times you just have the LED lights, the GPS LED indicator that illuminates inside this vehicle. Soon you go off on an exit and you're on the highway. And you can hear the tread of your tires go along the road, almost in like a rhythm of its own music. The faster you go, you feel the humming go even further. And you look out to your left and right, and you see that there are areas where there's neighborhoods that are within groves of trees almost. You can look on your right, and you see trees are going back as far as the eye can see. It almost looks like there's parks that are in the middle there. And on the left, as you look, you see downtown Minneapolis, the skyscrapers and the lights. Or you were just there not too long ago talking to Philip with Rita. But as the highway goes forward and cuts forward into the night, you find that you're heading in the direction that those trees seem to grow off in on your right. 
And soon you find yourself taking an exit out of there. And you're going along what seems to be almost like a suburbia-type neighborhood. But as you pass through it, the businesses get sparser. And eventually there seems to be more land between the businesses. And then there's houses. And you find yourself in what could almost be a neighborhood of sorts. These rather large homes. Not mansions, but very large homes. Almost like 5,000 square foot or more. That have about half an acre of land to their own. Some of them have gates in front of the driveway to where the gates have to be opened up before you can go in. But you can still see your neighbor. This isn't quite in the middle of nowhere. And eventually, you start slowing down your vehicle and you can hear the rocks underneath the blacktop crunching. And you see the leaves coming across the road from the wind as your headlights illuminate them. And you're at that address to the right. And you see that there is this large brick home. has a large front yard that has like a cast iron fence that goes around it. There's a driveway there with the entrance of the fence opened up so you could drive through. But it's a rather large driveway. And you see it leads to a four-car garage. You see what this brick home looks like? It's probably two stories high. If not, there may be a basement. You're not sure. You think you may see like a window well, a window by a window well that might indicate that there's a basement in this house. You see that there's uh, pillars that are in the front of the front door. They look to be almost like the, to be based off like the Greco-Roman type pillars you would see. They hold a roof over the front porch. And on the front porch, it's enough space to put like a chair and a little table. You see someone currently sitting there with the jacket on right now. You see puffs of breath coming from their mouth. You see that there's a big picture window of the front with the drapes that are closed. But you can see some light making its way through the cracks. And you see that there's another window also that's right next to where this door would be which indicates it could be like an office or something to that extent. The brick is red, that old red brick that you would see in schools, and the trim looks to be white. And it's crisp still, even when your headlights cut, cut across it when you pull into the driveway. It's so white that st- it sticks out in the night, which means that's probably well-maintained. Your car goes forward, and eventually you see the figure get up, and you know that you can st- eventually stop your vehicle because it goes from like black asphalt to like cement to where like a dry, a four car driveway would start and you see the figure in the chair stand up as he waits for you to stop your vehicle and get out and i very slowly just pull into this driveway and you know i'm i'm being very slow and meticulous right now i put the car into park take the keys out and this car is basically empty it looks so unlived in at this point. It's still very new. I don't, there's no trash. There's nothing. It's, there's no drinks. There's just, it's just completely empty. So when I take this single key out and just put it in my, in my pocket, I just uh, open the car door out and I slowly step out, straightening my clothes as I, as I stand there. You see the figure in the jacket goes and opens a door. Like he's waiting for you to walk up and enter the door and he kind of respectfully stands aside. It's it's open like a foot, you know, but it's almost like a, he's showing you courtesy, but he's afraid to get too close to you when you walk by. And I'll, I'll walk straight up like, I, you know, where he's directing me and I give him a polite nod as I pass through or if he invites me through. Yeah, he just motions a hand like you, you can tell by his body language that he's his life is a life of like like serving people or uh, protecting people. He knows his role, you know, and he knows your importance and who knows if he knows your nature or what you really are or what even Roman is, but he still stands aside as you walk in because he knows meetings at 2 a.m. in the morning 
are probably meetings that he doesn't need to know what's going on. His job is solely to look intimidating or to probably be up front there to avoid anyone unwanted to come forward. And Marco definitely respects that Roman has this type of muscle. Marco respects the type of setup that Roman has. He thinks it's pretty foolish to live too lavishly. He thinks it's it's just dumb to be flashy, anything that's going to draw a lot of attention to yourself. And he's he's seen how Roman has found a way to very tastefully accommodate the need for luxury and still not go overboard. And he like sees this man that kind of welcomes him in and he like respects the presence of, of muscle that Roman has. He's like, okay, this is a pretty good setup you have here so far. That's like what he's thinking to himself. It's like, so far, so good. We'll see how the we'll see what Roman has to say about about the current situation though. So let me get uh perception and occult role difficulty six from you, please. Does careful apply for my perception? I would say yes, since you're kind of stepping into a new environment. Two successes. When you walk through the door, you see a little hallway almost. It has like this tile on there. It's like a cream colored tile that looks slightly marble. And you see along to the right that there's a like a coat hanger. And before you even like you're in the process of you looking at your feet and you're looking at the tile, you feel a familiarity. It's hard to explain. It's almost palatable. You can almost like taste it in your tongue. It's almost like when you have been in an environment with high humidity before and you've you've spent time in an environment that's dry and then you go back to somewhere where there's humidity again the first time you know what it is but it's still kind of new and alien you like when you open the when you get off the plane and you can just feel the stickiness of it and it's almost that's almost like what is going on now when you go through that door it's a familiarity you can feel the hairs on the back of your neck just rise up slightly almost like there's a static in the air a static electricity with this remind Marco of any feelings he would have when he engages in his necromancy practices kind of it does somewhat and it kind of takes you back at that moment because that tile almost looks like a tile that you saw one time at this Venetian house and that those fleeing moments you had with Rita and that two weeks that seemed to go by quickly or three weeks or however long it was where you went to go see operas or went to go see her walk into the deep waters of the canals. There was one night where you were at a party of sorts, a get together where Rita was talking to rubbing shoulders, almost with movers and shakers. You were never quite sure if there was other kindred canines in that party, but there was a moment where you were sitting by yourself in this room. It was a foray that was in this house. It was circular. And there was this old Venetian chair that you sat in. It was made of wood, but it had like thick maroon cushion on the bottom and on the back of it. And it had this tile that was on the floor, but this tile was intricate. It almost looked like that had like carved in paintings to it. And you're trying to like make sense of it. You're almost still getting acquainted with that new found sense of perception that you had. And there was a statue in the middle with a fountain, a figure of a naked woman and water would come out of it. And you're sitting there just kind of lost in the moment. And there was a moment where you're looking at the tile and you look up and you saw your mother standing by that fountain. And she was looking at you somber, but she looked distorted in a way. 
this is the first time that she had came up to you, has shown herself to you. This is a moment where you knew that there was something more. Like you had found out the truth about your mother, but there was something you had found something more here. You found that she could come and communicate that you were still bounded to you bonded with her. And you saw she looked sad at this moment. And there was a moment where you closed your eyes and you opened them and you saw that she was gone. And you're back right now into Roman's house. And you hear from the other end of the hallway, a figure go, hello, Marco. It's been a long time since I've seen you. You look up and you see a figure wearing gray dress slacks. He has brown, highly shined brown leather loafers on. And he has a blue polo shirt tucked in. He has a gold Rolex watch on his left wrist. And you see the top two buttons of his polo shirt are unbuttoned. And you see slight poof of gray hair come out. He has like a gray crew cut almost. Flat top it looks like. He has really intense blue eyes that are looking at you. He's about 5 foot 11, 6 foot maybe 190 pounds. He looks toned like he's in good shape. And you see him walk forward and you hear the shoes clack on those tiles that you were just looking at. And he reaches out his hand for you to shake. I put my hand out and I go ahead and I give him a shake. Right now, I'm giving him this smile and it's kind of like I'm smiling through this very troubled feeling that I just got because of what I just tasted on the air and what it just reminded me of and where it just brought me back to. Are you trying so, to hide that look? You're trying to hide it? I'm not trying to hide it that much. It's like if if you like looked at Marco's face, you would maybe see that something was wrong, but he's still trying to kind of like he he cracks like the friendly smile to to give a polite greeting anyways. But then it kind of goes back to like a stern look. And he's just like, Roman, it's nice to see you. Yes, I come on in, have a seat here. Like I said, I was expecting this. And he comes and he motions you to follow him. And you go into this living room area and you see that there is a fireplace that is going, which kind of makes you a little, when you see the fire flames of the fireplace, it makes you uncomfortable. You see that this tile still goes throughout the living room, but there is this gray like carpet, but it's like a thick rug that a large one that's laid on the floor. And you see that there are, there's one couch and there's two seats, reclining chairs, almost, you know, like on their own that are kind of placed on the left and right of the fireplace. So if someone wanted to sit there and kind of catch the warmth of the fireplace, they could sit there. And then the couch is about 10 feet away. They're all three are the same color. They're they're this this cream leather color, modern in the way that they look. You see that there's this coffee table, large glass coffee table. And in the middle of the coffee table, there's one of those like drink circular spinning things that you could put on there. Then there's a couple thick, nice crystal decanters that hold some kind of amber alcohol in there. And there's a couple bookshelves that are in the room that have different books. Your quick glance, it looks like there are nonfiction books, maybe history books. And you see that there's a desk off in the corner of this room that has a computer on it. And then there's this large sliding door that leads to the backyard, you know, the kind that you slide open. And Roman goes and sits by one of the chairs on the left of the fireplace. And he goes and motions to the chair that's across from him. And he's looking at you. Give me a perception and empathy roll, please. Difficulty six. What happens if I don't have any empathy? You can roll just perception. Three successes. So you see when he motions motions towards the chair for you to sit in, you see he almost has like this smirk on his face, like this testing look in his eyes. 
Like he's almost like trying to size you up for a second. Now, you know, if you sat in this chair, you'd be very uncomfortable being that close to the fire. You know, sitting on the couch, though, you'll be re- you'd be a lot more comfortable and you wouldn't feel so on edge. But you see almost Roman's like looking at you for a second and you see his eyes are sizing you up. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that he's trying to put me in that position. So right now, I think I'm just going to stand while I talk to him and I'm going to wait for him to sit down and then I'm going to put my hands on my hips and I do like a slight pace kind of back and forth, just looking at the room, looking at the house. It's a lovely home you have here, Roman. Very, very great decorating done here. I thank you. I appreciate it. Seems like you have good taste. So he crosses his legs for a moment and he leans back in the chair. What is it you like to talk about, Marco? I haven't seen you in quite a long time. I think I saw you in uh, I saw you in Boston that uh, very eventful evening of yours, eh? Well, yes. Uh, I think that might have been the last time I saw you as well. Uh, time goes by so quick. Yes, Jeez. and I'm certainly a long way from home. So I was hoping that maybe you could give me a rundown of what the situation is here. Explain it to me, Roman. What what am I dealing with? All right, you got you got to be a little bit more specific than that, eh? So what did uh, what does Rita, Rita have you here for? Matter of fact, I w- I'd be remiss if I didn't say that this was a little bit of a surprise seeing you here. But I heard. That's interesting. I thought you were expecting this. Why? Well, and I go over and I I sit on the couch and I'm I'm kind of grinning at this point. I'm I'm uh, you know, I'm not sitting close to the fire and I'm looking at him and it, like I feel like I've already kind of done this thing by standing over him and talking to him. And now I'm just going to sit where I'd be more comfortable, but I do lean into him, lean in towards him. And I have my uh, elbows on my knees basically. And like my hands are kind of clasped together in this way that I'm kind of just like leaning in to talk business. I don't have like a, a scowl or any kind of, you know, I, he did, he did smirk a little bit when uh, Roman said that he was, you know, oh, I, I wasn't expecting this. So he's just like, well, you know, I'm in town to help Rita with some things. And your name has come up a few times. Hey, it's a bunch of bullshit. It's not, it's, it's, it's what the, and you see the moment he looks a little stutter for a second. He's, and then he stops, he looks down at his hands and then he looks back up at you and he pulls out like out of his polo pocket, you know, has one of his chest pockets, pulls out some cigarettes and he, Pulls out a lighter and he, you know, lights it up. And then he just like kind of ashes in the, you know, by the, <clears throat> by the fireplace. And he's like, what can I say? I, I, you're kind, you know, all of you. Well, I don't mean the family, but you know, the, the, the others that, the, that control the city, they have a harebrained idea in their head that for whatever reason, I, I killed one of their, their kind. Why would I do such a thing? Help me understand Roman. Mm-hmm. Why do they think you've done this? Well, a bunch of them came to my house, and I don't know what it is the last winter, and they acted like a bunch of uncouth assholes, and they came here, and they're all trying to, thinking I had something to do with some murders that I have no idea what they're talking about, and, um, you know, I they they looked like idiots when I told them that I was here on, on invitation of the prince, and I represented our, our family, and after that, shit, I don't know, one of, one of them tried to, tried to meddle with uh, one of my companies, and, um... I think I'm being a patsy, to be honest. I think I think I'm being a patsy. That's what you'd like to go with, Roman. In your best interest to tell me everything that's happened. I don't care what you've done. I'm here to benefit Rita, and if that means protecting you, that's what I'm going to do. So why don't you just be real with me, Roman? 
What do you want to know? Then you got to be more specific. Just look, tell me what's going on. Tell me why I'm supposed to reel you in and make sure you reel me in. Who told you to reel me in? Rita said that I've served Rita for longer than you've been around, boy. Look, I meant no disrespect by it. It's just, she's worried about you. I should say. Does it piss you off when he calls you boy? Or are it you pretty really calm? does, but he's okay. trying to, uh, he's trying to <laughs> like self-control role pissed I, off. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Self-control role because Typical. he's a, as like somebody who is kind of like a control freak, somebody oh, yeah. who's into the bondage lifestyle. He is like, has this obsession with power and has this obsession with having power over people and situations and to have somebody try to put power over him who he feels is like not worthy to do that is like something that angers him at his core. So let's get a self-control role, please. Difficulty four. Okay. So that's two. So you pass it. You're able to control yourself. He's going to go to talk and then he just silences himself, but you can just see this strenuous look on his face, almost like this anger that he's choking down. And he's just like, Roman, I'm not here to disrespect you. Look, we're family. I'm here to help. I'm here to help Rita. You are important to her. So by proxy, you are important to me. I right, then I would say if you want if you want to help Rita and I'm so important to you, then you need to clear my name. I didn't I didn't kill why would I kill any any blood you see him stop for a second, then he's like, Why would I kill any of any kindred? Why would I do that? What what gain would that do for Rita? Rita and I have been here for for so long. We've been we've been cultivating everything for so long here. If anything, someone's trying to stop that cultivation. Hey, did you did you go meet the the prince? Yeah, did, I take it that's part of your that's part of what you kind of do when they come to cities like this, right? You had to you had to talk to that to the to the prince, right? I spoke with him briefly, and you saw how him and Rita are, right? They don't seem like they're they seem friendly, right? Roman, don't be so naive. There's so much that you clearly don't understand if you look at any relationship and just see friendly faces. I you know it's so much more deep th- deeper than this, Roman. Of course I know that. But what I'm saying, if people see that, there's going to be people who don't like that, who are going to try to get in the middle of that, who are going to try to put a wedge between that. Roman, I see I've upset you. And for that, I'm sorry. I just need to make sure, I needed to make sure that you didn't get in your in your head to do anything that's going to compromise our main goal here. Why would I do that? I've been the one who's built the the the, the foundation that everything is on in this city. It is Look, me who did that. I understand. So how do we how do we go about clearing this for you? What what who is who is trying to set you up? Do you think? I have no idea. I who who knows? Who fucking knows? Not only on top of that, then we're looking for these um two people that Rita wanted me to look for. There's people looking for them too. All these people. So you see, there's wheels with, within wheels within wheels in this damn place. And why haven't you found them? And you see there's a moment where he gets stern and he looks at you, he's like, you think it's that easy, boy? Self-control roll again. Difficulty four, please. That's a botch. If you enjoyed Eidolon, I highly recommend checking out our Ghoul's Fatal Addiction series called Servitude. Set in the same continuity, it will give you a glimpse of major events and people of influence in the Twin Cities. And if you find you can't get enough, Jump right into our main series, starting with the Negligence story arc.